Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. I'm so excited to be uh, sharing this word today. Um, A word where we get into a story of old. You know, a story where two people meet. One of them asks the other out and next minute, they're sitting down at brace girdles. (laughs) Or perhaps they haven't gotten to the point of meeting and they've only swiped right. (laughs) Or perhaps some algorithm made a decision for them that their values, common interests, and love for putting on, I don't know, parties for stuffed animals made them compatible. (laughs) Or perhaps they've been going out on dates, but they're not really going out. (laughs) Or maybe they're assuming they're dating, but neither one of them asked the other out in the first place and it kind of just happened. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, they're married with a lorikeet, (laughs) an oak credenza, and an eight-seater minivan. (laughs) So we're gonna have some fun with this topic today. Whether you've been waiting for ages and feel like you're losing all hope. Whether you're about to get married and can't wait till the reception ends. Or whether you've had your third date now and he still hasn't proposed. We're going to have a good time in church today. I want to thank you, Mike and Jen, for giving me the opportunity to share this word today. And uh, even in the amusement of this topic, I seriously do believe that this word is going to help us develop a Christ-centred lens when it comes to love and dating and relationships in this cultural moment. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Jeremy, as Mike said, part of the team here at Encounter. Uh, And before we get into this message, I thought I would share why I'm so passionate about this topic and also what some of my own dating stories have been over the years. So, shh. So I used to be... Uh, a hopeless romantic. In fact, I was terrible, literally, when it came to the process (laughs) of asking someone out and declaring my interest in them. This hopelessness was at its peak several years ago when I went on a trip to Canada. There was this one girl and she was on the same Kentucky tour I was doing. And in the lead up to this tour, I was in touch with her via socials. She was from Sydney and I thought there may have been some chemistry there. So uh, when I arrived in Vancouver, I met up with her in person. But after we as a group all got on the bus to go looping around the Rockies, I didn't get to spend as much time with this girl as I'd hoped. And because I felt I hardly got to know this girl while in Canada, and because I had some kind of soulmate epiphany one night while watching Crazy Stupid Love, (laughs) it's true, I visited her in Sydney a month later to see if our acquaintance could have been anything more. And while I did put myself out there like a lovesick puppy, our relationship didn't develop into anything. Not even friends. Nothing. (laughs) And my love life remained as empty as the Canadian vastness. (laughs) Hopeless romanticism. There was this other girl. This story took place here in Adelaide and within church community. She and I got involved uh, in serving on team at the same time. We did churchy things and then we started hanging out outside of church. I thought there was some sort of chemistry going on. Our church community thought there was some sort of chemistry going on. 
But none of us knew what kind of experiment it was because all we were doing was hanging out for months on end with no official dating status. So I knew that I had to declare my intent to her as more than friends. But there was one problem. I had a fear of being rejected based on my previous romantic experiences. So I waited 72 hours before I was booked on a flight to Europe for Christmas that year to disclose that I did in fact like her. And much to my surprise, both feelings were mutual. <laughs> All because of my faulty love radar and lack of courage. Having said that, we dated for a while. And a few years ago, when I found myself in a season of singleness, I realised that I had to start working on my dating framework. So I found myself a dating coach. Her name was Kate, she lives in LA, and she, is, she runs one of the top Christian relationship podcasts out there called Heart of Dating, which I shamelessly plug. She's also written a book called Thank You For Rejecting Me, which is a resource particularly aimed at women to help alleviate, alleviate heartbreak and reclaim self-worth. But Kate coached me and mentored me one-on-one -on -one so that I would be set up for success when I got back onto the dating field. And a lot of the frameworks I'm sharing here today were formed during my own personal development on this topic, in addition to immersing myself in lots of relationship books, podcasts, and of course, listening to the Holy Spirit's voice. If we have coffee, or tea in my case, you would know that I'm so passionate about this topic, and I've also personally applied a lot of it to my current dating when, early last year, a lovely girl called Beck walked into the doors of this church one afternoon. She came through the gates. I got in quick. <laughs> Introduced myself, gave her a, uh, a stack of compliments. Uh, then dashed off to play keys and left her hanging. <laughs> then after the service, I came down from the stage. She came towards me, I came towards her, and I was like, yes, queen. <laughs> it also happens to be her birthday today. <laughs> Happy birthday, lovely girl. I'm very blessed to have her in my life. And I do hope that this message blesses you today. But before we get into this message, I think an important question to ask is, what even is dating? Well, the modern definition tells us that dating is defined as a stage of romantic relationships where two people meet and socialise with the aim of assessing each other for long-term suitability. That sounds about right, doesn't it? It was pretty much the same in the early 1900s when dating made its way into the dictionary. The practice of having romantic dates with someone evolved from the word date as being synonymous with appointment. There's another term we don't use much of today and that is courtship, which originated in the 1500s. Court is the behaviour of a wooer with the intention of winning affection and ultimately marriage. But here's something the dictionary authors forgot. The dating process continues. The courtship doesn't end. It's actually part of how to grow together as a couple, even when you're married. It helps maintain a long-lasting relationship. By spending quality time together or having dates, you're showing that you're still caring for the other person. You can be married for 50 years and still keep the courtship alive. And here's an important point about two people coming together. Not all dating is about marriage, but all marriage is about dating. 
Sometimes dating leads to marriage, sometimes it doesn't. Either way, a better def definition, I believe, is this. Dating is getting to know someone different from yourself and appreciating them the way God has created them to be. Within the context of marriage, it's exactly the same. It's just more permanent. So married people, no need to tune out of this dating message because I'm here today to tell you that this message is for everyone. It's for those in a season of singleness. It's for those in a relationship but not yet married. And as mentioned, it's also for those in marriage. If you are unmarried here today, the title of my message for you is Dating and Not Married. I just couldn't put it any more elaborate than that. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're in a season of waiting or a season of singleness. It doesn't matter if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. It doesn't even matter if you have a fiance. If you're not married here today, the title of my message for you is Dating and Not Married. If you are married here today, you know who you are. <laughs> the title of my message for you is In Marriage and Still Dating. But before we get into the heart of this message, let's pray. Father God, we look to you tonight. We know that you are the author of all people, of all relationships. And we ask that you would speak to us and give us a revelation of what you're saying in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. The goal of this message is to help us develop a better framework for dating. But before we get into these frameworks, we need to understand what biblical dating looks like in comparison to worldly dating. You see, biblical dating approaches things like love, sex, purpose and identity differently to how worldly dating approaches it. But here's the problem. Worldly dating is the dominant dating approach in this modern era we live, generally as a result of mass media amplification and socio-cultural sways. And even though Christians may not live like the world does, there are still worldly influences that seep into the church and our lives that we need to tackle. One of these influences, as heightened by social apps, is that our filtered identities are affecting how we view our true selves. It's easier than ever before to be seen through a new face on social media. Filters, Facetune and other augmented reality tools allow us to shapeshift our perceived identities. For a long time, we used to embrace our natural imperfections, but if we spend a long enough time scrolling through filtered to perfection influences, it's very tempting to start a mental wish list of the things we could change. In fact, a 2019 report done by the American Academy of Facial and Reconstructive Surgery found that 72% of clinicians said patients came to them because they wanted to look better in their selfies. We get so used to viewing our appearance through the lens of negative self-image and filters that we don't get to see what's really there. So what has this got to do with dating? Quite a lot, actually. Because the world narrative tells us that identity goes hand in hand with sexuality. And sexuality is the main orientation that drives our dating. Having said that, it's not even limited to dating, but really it's anything that helps you express your sexual inclination. This is where things like hookup culture come into play. But trends are now showing us that hookup culture is fostering meaningless and depersonalised relationships. Hooking up is defined as a casual, consensual sexual encounter and often attributes itself to uh, feelings of, of excitement and, and empowerment, but is also associated with a range of negative health and social consequences, inclu including 
feelings of embarrassment, loss of self-respect, and sexual regret. A study done across three universities in the US found that approximately 75% of college students reported some regret or experience of a negative impact associated with hooking up within the past three months. And the research also suggested that hooking up and the number of hookup partners were, was related to greater symptoms of depression, as well as low self-esteem and reduced life satisfaction. But even with hookup culture, romance is still thought to satisfy the majority of human needs. We look at shows like Married at First Sight, The Farmer Wants a Wife, or The Bachelor, Bachelorette. They wouldn't make these shows if we weren't massively obsessed with the idea of the one or Mr. or Mrs. Wright. According to the Marist Institute for Public Opinion, 73% of Americans believe in soulmates. You may hear today as well that there is someone out there for you that you are destined to be with. And if you don't find them, you fall short of what it means to live a truly fulfilled life. But just like how our filtered identities are affecting how we view our true selves, the idea of being preoccupied with the one does the exact same thing. You see, the idea that there is someone out there for you that you are destined to be with or, or is your missing half, that actually doesn't come from scripture at all. In fact, it's originally rooted in Greek mythology where, according to Plato, human beings were originally androgynous. Four-armed, four-legged, two-faced and two-sexed creatures, sounding something like the alien creatures straight out of a quiet place. <laughs> and they were a threat to the gods, so Zeus split everyone in two, and ever since then, legend tells us that we've been searching for our missing half. Marriage isn't about finding your missing half. It's about finding someone that you can become more like Jesus with. It's not about that one who completes you. It's about you already being complete in Christ. In fact, it's slightly more than that. It's not just about who you are, but it's about who you are becoming. In theology, this is called eschatological realism, which really is a fancy way of saying you are becoming who you really are. You are righteous and you are becoming righteous. You are perfect and you are becoming perfect. You are holy and you are becoming holy. In Christian relationships, it's all about who you are becoming. A good spouse will call out the best in someone, calling them to live up to who they really are, helping them to, be, to become who God is making them to be. And this is why when it comes to dating, we should let who we are and who we are becoming be the essence of our discernment. So my first point tonight is your purpose guides your dating. Galatians 6, verse 4 to 5, Paul says, Let each one examine his own work. Then he can take pride in himself and not compare himself with someone else, for each one will carry his own load. Also goes for herself. Paul tells us to examine, to evaluate, to assess our work, our skills, our talents, our giftings how we can make a difference in the world around us, to live out the special flavour that God has graced us with individually and to take pride in that, to own it, to acknowledge it, to live out that special uh, uh, flavour that God has gifted us with uniquely, but not to compare ourselves with other people's talents or giftings. Eugene Peterson puts this a beautiful way in the message. He says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your life.
your purpose in anything you do in your life is to worship because we were created to worship him and living out that worship in all the gifts, talents and skills you have been graced with. When it comes to dating, people are actually more attracted to other people who are living out who they are purposed to be. When I went through my time of coaching and and self-development during my season of singleness, I started to look at the things, as I called it, in my season of waiting that I would eventually want to have defined my season of marriage. This part of my coaching was called cultivating holy ambition. I had to look at how I was growing in holiness. I had to look at who the people were in my life that I was aspiring to be more like. I had to look at how I was stepping into my God-given mission. If you're in a season of waiting here today or in a season of singleness, God wants us to be anxiety-free. Kim mentioned this morning, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 to 35. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Being in a season of waiting and having anxiety is a very real thing. It might be the anxiety of feeling like you're up against the clock and everyone is getting married, you're getting older, and your social media fees are consistently showing you posts of weddings, engagements, and the FOMO is real. Or it may be the anxiety of not wanting to go through another relationship because you've been hurt and are doubtful that you will ever find someone that can truly run at your own pace. But Paul calls us to be free from anxieties, and he says we can be free by focusing on the things of the Lord instead of worldly things. If you're in a season of singleness here today, what are you good at? What are you efficient in? What do you love? What solutions can you bring to the world? Start by doing the things in your season of waiting that you will eventually want to have define your season of marriage. If you are dating or um, if you are dating or and not married here today, you need to discern your uh, your um, your belief compatibility. Firstly, if you are a Christian, they should be a Christian. Second Corinthians six verse fourteen. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Paul urges people who love Jesus not to team up with those who don't believe what you believe. Talk about a perfect match. Well, this is a perfect mismatch. I know that's a heavy word for some of us to hear. But Paul says this because he doesn't want people who have a commitment to him to be compromised. He doesn't want believers to be unequally yoked. This is super important when you're married, uh, when you're dating and not married. So how do you discern if someone loves Jesus? Ask them, do you love Jesus? (laughs) If they do, fantastic. And if by their fruits they live out that faith, which is what you're really looking for, even better, get those tickets to Jesus Fest. Look it up, it's a real Christian music festival in the US. If, If they don't love Jesus, well, you might need a press play on somebody that I used to know. (laughs) On a more serious note, 
on a more serious note, if you are, um, if you are married and still dating here today, uh, Paul, in contrast, actually uh, urges married couples to stay with each other, which, um, which he mentions in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 to 13. God wants us to witness to our unbelieving spouses and pray that they might know Jesus. But if you are not married here today, please date people who believe what you believe. In addition to your belief compatibility, you should also discern your missional compatibility. This is where you talk about the future. Where do you see yourself called missionally? If you've always had a dream of being a missionary in India or working with Compassion in Java or studying at, at, at seminary in the US, but the other person feels called to settling down in a church community here in Adelaide or feels called to a ministry like Streetlight or uh, feels led to work with indigenous communities in our own backyard, that's a missional conversation. If you um, are in marriage and still dating here today, Keep talking about God's call for you together. Be open with each other and talk about and discern how you can both live on mission as one flesh. A great example of this, there are many great examples, but one great example uh, that I've seen is uh, for our lead pastors, Mike and Jen. There have been many times I know from spending time with these people that God would speak to them both separately about the same thing. A lot of the time it's to do with the missional vision for our church here. That's missional alignment as one flesh. And I love looking at their discernment as a couple because they live out an example of how God uses married people for his glory. But no matter our relationship statuses, let our purposes guide our dating. My second point tonight is your identity exceeds your dating. John 1 verses 12 to 13 says, But to all who have received him, to those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. Children not born by human parents or by human desire or a husband's decision, but by God. John tells us that every single one of us in Christ is a child of God. That thinking is crucial when we approach dating from a Christian framework because if we find our identity through the lens of our relationship status, then we'll always have to do more and achieve more to find our value. But if we find our identity in Christ as a child of God, it trumps all other possible ways of being defined because that's a divinely constructed identity. I see so many people trying to find their identity in the person they're dating. And if it doesn't work out, everything becomes a desolate wasteland because all their satisfaction and fulfillment was found in that one person who's now gone. Or it may not be in just how one person thinks about you, but how the whole world thinks about you and how they think of you can become the narrative of how you live. I mentioned earlier that I used to be a hopeless romantic because of my faulty love radar and fear of rejection. However, there was another factor that affected my courage, and it wasn't just what people thought of me, but what I thought about myself through labels put on me by other people. Starting in my teenage years with its peak about five years ago, and something that occasionally still gets asked to me today has been the question, Jeremy, are you sure you're not gay? At best, that question has been a courteous one. At worst, it's been, Jeremy, you must be gay. You don't need to hide it like they had an awareness of something I didn't. 
And I acknowledge that a lot of this has stemmed from my convivial and enthusiastic personality, perhaps the way I speak, or my hand emphasising that has caused some people to think his straightness is just as dormant as the iPhone 3. But the truth is I haven't had a gay predisposition and my attraction has always been towards heterosexuality. But when you've been labelled a lock like I have, it can affect your confidence. As I'm sharing this, you may be aware of trigger terms that affect your confidence. And five years ago, when this labelling was at its peak, I had to re-immerse myself in who God said I was. I had to uh, regrow in my confidence of who the real Jeremy was. I had to learn how to lovingly peel off my label stickers and hand back to others like one of those I voted stickers, but when I never went to the polling booth in the first place. <laughs> so why am I telling you all this? It's because we all have stories of how people think of us. What I try to avoid is by um, not allowing any other labelled identity of what people think of me to affect my fundamental identity as a child of God. For the thing that defines all of us most is not our singleness status, or dating status, or marriage status, or sexuality status, but our statuses in Christ, each of us, as a child of God. If people keep saying you're single, even if there is evidence to suggest, and you believe a connotation associated with that, such as you may never find someone, or it's getting a bit late, isn't it? It's in those moments that we run back to who God says we are. If you're in a season of singleness today, or season of waiting, start by worrying less on the fact that you may be single. If you have a desire to be married, I would use the term in a season of waiting or a season of growth. But whatever it is, keep declaring that your, single, your, your singleness is less in your singleness and more in your completeness in Christ. Because your identity won't change when you switch from being single to dating. Your identity won't change when you find that suitable person. Your identity already changed when you said yes to Jesus and became a child of God. Are you hearing me tonight, church? If you are dating or in marriage here today, keep placing God as the priority of your relationship. When God is set aside, disorder starts to take place. When we start to believe we've got this on our own or can handle things ourselves, we start to let the world narrative determine who we are or what we need. But if we find our relationship in Christ and our ultimate worth and identity is in Christ, we rely less on the opinion of the person we're dating or married to. Now that might sound a bit weird to say, but relationships are stronger when you put God first and each other second. You see, when both of you rely on God, your ultimate worth and identity is not in each other. Your ultimate worth and identity is in Christ. And that's what I believe strengthens relationships in the long term. But no matter your relationship status, let your identity exceed your dating. My third point tonight is your giving strengthens your dating. 1 John 4 verse 10 says, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. When John wrote this verse, he's pointing to the greatest kind of romance out there, that God loved us. That in itself is a crazy concept to think about, that the God of the universe, as immense and eternal as he is, would love us as fleeting and as flawed as we are. But the, that 
that love isn't where it ended. Because the word says that God sent his son for us. So when we look at the greatest kind of romance ever, John tells us that God's love isn't simply a saying type love, but it's a doing type love. If we look at this verse in the Greek, that word love is translated agape. In English, we just have the four-letter word, which has been diluted and somewhat changed in its meaning over time. People say how much they love their cars and their coffees and their notorious collection of garden gnomes. <laughs> but in the English, sorry, in the Greek, there's a whole bunch of words for this, and agape points to something more. You see, agape is all about giving. With agape, it's impossible to take or be a taker. It devotes total commitment to seek your highest best, no matter the response. Feelings come and go, but agape stands resolute. A few years ago, my mum got injured and she had to be in a wheelchair for several weeks. This happened because one day she was exercising at the beach and a dog ran into her, which caused her to experience a bad fall where she broke her leg and injured a few other parts of her body. My dad, while working from home, essentially became uh, her full-time carer during her, her time of recovery. He was at her side 24-7, making her food, driving her places, and helping her with the daily tasks she couldn't do. And I remember when my mum was in this awkward and painful time of recovery, she told me that she was so in love with my dad. More than ever. That's agape love at its core. It's Christ-like love. It's cross-shaped love. It's a love that's not determined by life events or circumstances. It's a love that's not contingent on human conditions or conceptions, but it's a love that breaks through and steps out, that serves in the brokenness, that steps out in faith, that is truly sacrificial for someone else. If you're in a season of singleness today, and there's a particular single girl in church you've developed a bit of a crush on, let's say tonight just happened to be sitting next to you during worship. <laughs> or there's a certain single guy in your life group and you tell us that you weren't checking him out, you were simply just watching how he was praying. <laughs> well, if you're in a season of not dating and you can date and they are single and you're single, just step out in faith and ask them out. Okay, obviously be wise about it. Don't freak them out with your marriage plans then and there. <laughs> but stepping out in, in sacrificial love looks like being bold enough to ask. It looks like being bold enough to ask if they would like to go and have coffee or go on a hike or see a weird emo show at the fringe like Beck and I did on our first date. <laughs> Whatever it is, Stepping out in, in sacrificial love looks like having the courage to step out even if you're unsure whether the other person will like you back. And if they don't like you back, yeah, it might suck. But you'll never know if you don't be vulnerable and step out. I love what Brene Brown says about stepping out in her work about daring to be vulnerable. She says, vulnerability is not weakness it's the most accurate measurement of courage. Vulnerability is the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control of the outcome. And that's a way I believe we can live what it means to step out when we are in a season of wanting to date. If you are dating and not married here today, 
on one hand, you are dating to figure out if you want to be with the other person in the long run. Yet at the very same time, you're dating for the purpose of loving and serving them. This is what Christ-like dating is. You date to give. You're not just dating for fun, but you're also dating for refinement. Maybe your relationship will lead to the altar. Maybe it won't. Either way, a dating relationship is no excuse to stop working on yourself. And part of that working on yourself or refinement is stepping out in sacrificial love for the other person, caring for them, serving them, helping them to become who God is making them to be. But this stepping out reaches another level when you get to marriage. And so if you are in marriage and still dating here today, Paul says that when you're in marriage, it's about giving yourself up. Ephesians 5 verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. If being in a, a season of dating to find a, a future spouse is all about stepping out, Paul says when you're in marriage, it's about giving yourself up. He's basically saying in this verse that Jesus' death is the best example of how a man is to love a woman. What does this mean then? Well, unlike simply stepping out, Jesus gave himself up. Is that what the marriage contract's terms and conditions has in store for us, lads? In God's eyes, yes. But here's the thing. If Jesus' life was less about him, then marriage becomes less about us. Like how my mum told me she was so in love with my dad when he was her full-time carer. Why wouldn't she be when he was giving up his life in that season for her wholeheartedly? You see, selfishness asks, what can I get? While agape asks, what can I give? As we come to a close, I genuinely do believe that these frameworks we've looked at tonight, how your purpose guides your dating, how your identity exceeds your dating and how your giving strengthens your dating are all part of God's heart for love and relationships and dating in this cultural moment. In saying that, all of these dating things we've looked at tonight all come under one type of umbrella and that's the umbrella of, lo of love. Sometimes that umbrella has us dancing in the summer rain. Sometimes we're caught in the storm where that love doesn't feel so good. Sometimes that love is a clear and cloud-free sky. Sometimes it's as murky and gloomy as an overcast day. In all human relationships, love can sometimes be like sitting on a Tahitian beach. And other times it can be like trying to find our way through an Alaskan blizzard. But God's love is always a clear blue sky. His love is so pure and never changes. His love remains steadfast and doesn't waver. So in order for us to love others, we need to be loved by the greatest kind of love out there, to be embraced by the greatest kind of love that ever was, to be filled with the love of Christ, how Jesus came down and broke into the murkiness of our lives so we could be reconciled back to God the greatest love story of all time. You may be here tonight and you're like, Jez, all those dating frameworks make sense, but I just can't love like that. 
I've been hurt in the past. My wounds from from heartbreak are still raw. I've I've got way too much baggage associated with my history. Maybe your prayer tonight is to simply just be filled with God's love. Maybe God's saying, you've got a divinely constructed identity. You're my workmanship. I love you and you are my child. Or you may be here tonight and you're like, Jez, I've got God's love. But being sacrificial is hard. Maybe you want to be bold enough to ask someone out, but you've got that fear. Or you say, yeah, I want to have compatibility conversations, but this is going to change things. Or you say, I know about agape love, but being sacrificial is hard. Maybe your prayer tonight is for God's love to help you step out. Maybe God's saying, I've got this. I'm growing you in this. I'm empowering you for refinement. I'm with you in all this. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.